we can turn together to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're reading from verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Almighty God, we want to thank you for the privilege to look into your word. We recognize this morning, even as we read this word, but unless your spirit guides us and teach us, we can never really understand these truths. For the natural mind does not receive the things of the spirit. They are foolishness. We therefore ask you to give us grace this morning by your spirit. Illumine our hearts and minds to receive your word with faithfulness, with meekness, and with hearts that are willing to obey. We ask these things not because we deserve anything from you, Father, but only because of the one we are beholding this morning, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the Let me greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, thank you to Brother Antonio for the privilege to share the word this morning, and greetings to all of you, Bafundis, uh, that we can gather here and be taught the word of God in various classes, whether it's New Testament, Old Testament, systematic theology or whether we look at the church history, uh, how the church has throughout history interacted with the word of God. Uh, whatever discipline we are in, uh, 
we thank God for that. And uh, even myself here, I thank God for the privilege that I can share the word with you and interact with you. I bring greetings from Kongshanga, uh, the other family members of the Mukanyo family, and also from my family as well. Uh, as Mfudisi said, I left this morning at 3.30 um, on my way to the airport. Then I had a problem of, uh, there was a violent protest, there were burning cars, so I was rerouted by the police to another route. Unfortunately, that one we was stuck because it was a gravel road. And so by the time I eventually found another road, I was late at the airport. The plane has already, had already left. So I got into the next plane, and by the grace of God, here I am. So I thank God for travel messes as well. This morning, I want us to quickly think about uh, verse number 29, John chapter 1. The next day he saw Jesus, that is John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I'd like us to think about what John is saying when he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. It's interesting that John is a cousin to Jesus. His mother, Mary, uh, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, were cousins. Uh, we know it because even at that time when um, Elizabeth was pregnant and Mary had just received news from Gabriel that she was going to give birth to a son, a savior. When she visited Elizabeth, the baby inside Elizabeth's belly started to, to play. Um, and that was very significant because all of a sudden Elizabeth bursts out in uh, a word of praise and says, how is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me? So even at that moment, it was very clear the significance of the one who was in the belly of Elizabeth in relation to the ministry would accomplish in service to the one in the belly of Mary. Jesus Christ. So from birth, John knew was already groomed. The Holy Spirit was already upon him as one who would be a forerunner, a herald for Jesus Christ, the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. So when he says here, behold the Lamb of God, not behold my cousin, but behold the Lamb of God. John prophetically is, is bringing to us something very profound, something very significant. Because where do we find Lamb? What is the significance of Lamb 
you will remember, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that already in Genesis chapter 22, we pick up that phrase as the discussion is going on between Abraham and his son, Isaac. They are on the journey. God has said to Abraham, take the, your son, the one you love, your only son, and go sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And Abraham, in obedience, takes Isaac with, and they take the long journey towards Mount Moriah. And when they arrive there, uh, almost when they were about to arrive there, uh, he asked, Isaac asked his father, Father, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? And what does Abraham say? My son, God will provide a lamb. God will provide for himself a lamb. So already, Abraham knows there's a lamb that needs to be provided for, for this sacrifice to be successful. In his heart, we are told from uh, Hebrews, he had already made up his mind, I'm going to kill my son, but God will raise him from the dead. He believed that God will raise him from the dead and God will provide a substitute in the place of the son. That's why he says, the Lord will provide a lamb. So, I want us to see as we study this passage that first of all, when John is saying, Behold the Lamb, he's talking about Jesus as a substitutionary uh, a provision of God for the sin of mankind, as a substitute for our sins, as one who must take our place, the place of sinners, die in our place. That's one thing. Secondly, John, as you notice, in his message. John was not just a person who had um, just the sweet, in his mind he didn't just have a sweet, lovely Jesus. Um, he, he, he always understood. He had a balanced view of the gospel. He understood that Jesus is not just the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But there was also another side to it, which we will see later on. And you see it in the preaching of John. He talks about, he was a fire and brimstone type of preacher. He talks about the eggs that is already in the root of the tree. He's talking about judgment. So we'll see that this lamb is both a savior and also a judge. But later on, we also look, as we study this passage, our obligation, especially as Abba Fundisi, those who are studying and who are already leading churches somehow, or who are already preaching somewhere else, that we understand the great responsibility that God has laid upon our, our minds, our, our, our shoulders, as those who, first of all, must behold this lamb, but also who must persuade others to behold this land. Alright? 
So, behold the Lamb of God. So John is calling us to look at the one who is a substitute. Just like Isaac, uh, Paul, uh, uh, Abraham was telling Isaac that this one, the substitute will be provided by Yahweh. He knew without any shadow of doubt that something will be provided in the place of my son. And of course in my place because that bent offering meant why would there be a bent offering? There would be a bent offering because there's a need for substitution. There's a need for atonement. There's a need for sin to be paid for. And so, and we see this theme running throughout the Old Testament going into the New. Because what do we see uh, also in the, in the Old Testament regarding this theme? You will remember uh, in Exodus when he was taking, about to take his people out of Egypt, when everything else seemed to be not working, God said to, and by his own purposes of course, God was behind all this, is hardening Father's heart and so on and so on. But then ultimately God says, let them choose a lamb, a male lamb, a year old, and let them slaughter it and anoint it and doorpost and remain indoors overnight. And when I see the blood, God said so, when I see the blood, I will pass over. So that Passover lamb represented an atonement of some form. Because as the angel of death was coming to slay every firstborn in the house of the Egyptians, he wasn't going to skip these ones just because they were Israelites. He was going to skip them because he sees the evidence of death on their doorposts. That death has taken place. Not their death, but something has died in their place. And so he can get to skip them. And so that lamb therefore served as a substitution, taking the place of the Israelite firstborns who were to be slain. That lamb was a substitute. But remember, we also hear when we read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, that actually, even that was just a little shadow pointing forward to a more perfect substitute that would occur. So this was, yes, uh, in a, in, 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 in symbolizing a substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, but itself, on its own, was powerless to provide substitution. That's why we are told, Scripture tells us it's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls and, and, and goats to take away sins. It's impossible for the lamb, an ordinary lamb, a year old, to take my place. Because what does the justice of God require? 
The Torah always stated that an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, right? And so, in other words, it had to be exact. You can't replace the life of a human being with a cow. Even if you provide a million cows, they can never equate to the value of a human soul, right? There's nothing that can touch the human soul. There's nothing that can satisfy God's justice except the equivalent. And therefore, the, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is the equivalent as a human being, dying as a man in the place of a man, could satisfy the righteous requirements of the law. That stated that the soul that sins shall die. And therefore he dies in the place of the soul that sins, himself being a soul that never sinned, perfect in every way. And therefore he becomes the substitutionary Lamb of God. Paul picks up on the same theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, when he says, Our Passover lamb, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He is our Passover lamb. He is our substitutionary lamb. He takes away our sin. He removes our wrath, the wrath of God from us. He brings us into favor with God, into a covenant relationship with God. But let me also state, brothers and sisters, that this lamb, substitutionary lamb of God, uh, as wonderful as it is, if we leave it just there, then we are preaching a half gospel. Because this lamb is not Santa Claus. He's not just a lamb of God who is, you know, all love, all, uh, all happiness, all joy. There is a side to this lamb. We haven't seen that side yet in this life, but John alludes to it that the X is already at the tree at the foot of the tree. So which means this lamb, there is judgment attached to it. Notice that when you go to Revelation, the same term is referred to the lamb. Revelation 6, verse 16 tells us that on that day, the end times, the coming of Christ, he says, they will call those who have not trusted in Christ, they will call upon the mountains and rocks and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from what? The wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. So, which would suggest that uh, the words were true, spoken by another uh, English pastor, uh, who said, Andrew King, who said the most uh, frightening person in the whole universe 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. The most frightening person in the whole universe is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb that has breath. Yesterday we see the Lamb, we only experiencing His mercy, His saving grace, His forgiveness. But He's also coming as the Lamb that is full of wrath to judge those who have not trusted in Him. And that's why they will call on the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. He tells us, uh, John does in Revelation 17 verse 14, they will make war on the Lamb and the Lord, Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. So you see, He's not just a saving Lamb, He is also a conquering Lamb, a Lamb who judges. And because and the gospel embraces these two sides. Uh, we understand Jesus not only as Savior, from, who saves us from our sins now, but we understand him also as the wrathful judge who will judge the living and the dead. And that's what we confess, isn't it? Uh, that's what Paul also teaches us when he reminds Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. So there is judgment coming. The wrath, the Lamb has come, the Savior, in his first advent, but he's coming back again. Not as a Savior to those who have rejected him, he's coming as a judge. And so that's the truth we are finding here. But this truth, for us, John is saying to us, Behold, we have an obligation, my brothers and sisters, to behold this Lamb. Are you beholding? Have you behold? Have you looked at the Lamb yet? Because sometimes we can go through theological colleges and study and get degrees qualifications and you find that many of us we have not really looked into the face of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Many people preach the gospel even not only in our day, even historically a lot of people entered into ministry who have, net, who have never be, who never had the experience of beholding the face of Jesus Christ by faith. I think it's the Puritan writer Richard Baxter in the, the, the famous book, uh, The Reformed Pastor. He says, in that book, just to quote it, he says, Alas, it is the common calamity of the church to have so many people become preachers before they are Christians. Who are sanctified at the altars as the priests of God before they are sanctified by hearty dedication as the disciples of Christ and sought to worship an unknown God, to preach an unknown Christ and to pray through an unknown spirit.
and to proclaim the joys of heaven that they don't know themselves. And that's a disaster, brothers and sisters, that we who come from Kanyo, who are ordained in churches, who are serving some own churches, will be there and have not yet seen the face of Jesus Christ. How do we see the face? Must we have all of a sudden a vision somehow? No. John, when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, is calling us to faith. He's calling us to trust in Jesus Christ. He's calling us to embrace Jesus for who he is. And this is an urgent call. It's not a call that you can postpone for the future. It's not something I'll think about it. It's urgent because time is not on our side. We have calendars, we have watches, but we don't have time. God has time. He knows when it will be over with me. He knows how many steps I'm yet to take before I reach my grave. So the only time really I have is now. The only time you have is now. And therefore, this is a very urgent invitation. Behold the Lamb of God. Have you beholden the Lamb of God? Have you looked at Jesus? Do you trust Him? Have you received Him as your Lord and your Savior? Have you known the joy of fellowship with Him? But it's not just for you alone. If you know that joy, it's up to you and me to also let others know that joy. And therefore, that's why we have to go out and proclaim Christ. We have to go out and share the gospel. Look at the state of our country. Look at the state of our communities, our neighborhoods. Who is praying? Who is sharing the word in that local clinic every morning when they start work? Who is sharing the word in that police station as they in that parade when they do a they change shifts? Do you know that those places are places that would welcome any time? Someone is saying, I'd like to pray with you, I'd like to share the word. Are we seizing those opportunities? That's a question. Or we are content to be where we are, doing our little project, doing our little thing here. When the harvest is plenty, when so many people are staggering towards slaughter. When so many people are going to an eternity where they must face the wrath of the Lamb. When there is opportunity that today they can embrace the saving Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. My brothers, we have a great responsibility to not only, first of all, to behold the Lamb, 
but you also persuade others to bring others along to also catch a glimpse of the Lamb and to find the joy of salvation. Amen. We give you honor and glory. We worship you, my Lord. You are worthy to be praised. We give you honor. We give you honor and glory. We Hey guys, you're welcome to join us for some tea and eat and uh, 